at Chick-fil-A, where I go sometimes, good bit, in fact. Uh, and, uh, you know, a question that we ask and answer, do I need a haircut? Yeah, I need a haircut. I know I'm going to get a haircut this week. So lots of questions that we ask ourselves and we deal with and answer. Not, not the most important things, not the weightiest matters in our lives, but other questions are quite significant. Who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? Now, those are serious questions. Those are very important questions. And I think most people who think seriously about life or think seriously about their purpose in life and what they want to accomplish, we think about those things, at least to some degree. Now, I'm sure there are some people who don't think about those things at all. They just live right in the moment and don't give any thought to what they ought to be doing with their lives. And are their lives going in a direction? Are they going somewhere uh, in their lives. And so uh, there are some people, no doubt, who don't give much thought to these things. But as serious-minded people, we, we do and we should. Well, I want to think about some of those questions this morning. Well, what is my life? Well, what's my life all about? Well, who am I? What am I? Where am I going? Am I headed in a certain direction? Or am I just wandering aimlessly throughout the universe, you know, with no purpose and in no, no direction. There's one particular book that we want to look at. Now, all the Bible can be studied in answer to those questions, but there's one particular book that we want to look at this morning that speaks to them in an effective and powerful way, the book of Ecclesiastes. And so let's go to the book of Ecclesiastes, and that's where we're going to draw uh, the basis for our discussion this morning. We're trying to develop a biblical perspective trying to think biblically about life and about the events that take place in our world and in our lives. And this is, uh, we've already started that. We've tried to lay a foundation. But this is a good place to begin to apply the things that we've, <clears throat> that we've been talking about. What, what is my life all about? Where am I going? What am I? Who am I? And so we want to think biblically about those things. We want to think scripturally about those things. A lot of different answers to those questions out in the world. All of them cannot be correct because they're in contradiction to each other. And so what we want to do is we want to find a good, solid, uh, valid, correct answer to these questions. And we're going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes to help us with that. So our first question, I know this is two questions, but I've combined them into one. Who am I and, and where did I come from? Well, the book of Ecclesiastes speaks to that. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1, we find this statement. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. You have a Creator. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Uh, same, uh, <clears throat> same passage in verse 6. Remember Him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed the pitcher by the well is shattered, and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Speaking there in a figurative way about our life. Remember him before your life comes to an end. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Your, your spirit was given to you by God. And so you have a creator. Your spirit was given to you by God. Look at chapter 11 in verse 5. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, 
So you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. God makes all things. He's made us. We have a Creator. He's given us His Spirit. In chapter 5 and verse 18 there the writer says that God has given us our lives. And so he says, here is what I've seen to be a good and fitting a thing to, to eat, to drink, to enjoy oneself and all one's labor, which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life, which God has given him. For this is his reward. And so God has given us our lives. Now that's consistent with what the rest of the Bible says. That's not the only passage that teaches us that God has given us life, that God has made all things, that God is our creator. We know, for example, look at uh, the 139th Psalm. The 139th Psalm, and we're going to look especially at verse 13. The psalmist says, David says, For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. You formed my inward parts, David says. And so God has created us, and in some way He's been involved in our lives, even within the womb. You formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. And God tells Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And so again, in some way God is involved in forming us and giving us life. He is not only our Creator, generally speaking, but He's involved in our lives. He's giving our lives to us individually. Now you learn from Genesis 1 verses 26 and 27 that God made us in His likeness and in His image. And we talked about that in a previous lesson, that, that we are created in God's image. We are like Him, and that makes us different from all other things created. And so we don't read about the trees being created in God's image, or the rocks being created in God's image, or the mountains, or the rivers, or the oceans, or even, the, even animals. But, but we human beings are created in God's image. Now the Bible doesn't go into a great deal of detail as to what that means. And there's been a lot of writing, a lot of thinking, a lot of discussion about that. But I think at the very least we can say that the, that God, since God's image is in us, that makes, us, makes it possible for us to have a relationship with Him. All right, so we are like God in that respect. In lots of ways we're different from God. He's very far above us and beyond us. And again, in many ways He's different from us. But we are like Him in this respect. We are made in His image and that enables us to have a kind of a unique relationship with Him, a relationship that's different from the relationship the trees has or have with God, or the, the dogs or cats have with God. We are human beings created in God's image, and that makes a fellowship with God possible. We could use that word, the word fellowship. Let me give you an illustration of that. You remember in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, God had created the man, and yet the man at that point in time was alone. Remember the statement of God, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper who is fit for him, who is suitable for him. And God brought all the animals before Adam, and, and Adam named all the animals. And after the end of that, he could see there, there's nothing here that's suitable as a companion for me. 
And so he caused a deep sleep to come over the man. He took one of his ribs. He formed that rib into a woman. He brought her to the man. Of course, she is his wife. Remember what the man says, Now, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she's taken out of it. At last, here's someone like me. She's like me. And because she's like me, we can have a relationship together. We can be companions. We can be partners in a way that I can't be a partner with anything else out here in this creation. And so it takes that similarity, that likeness, in order to make that fellowship, that communion possible. And that's the way it is with God. We are made in His image. We are like Him, at least in that way. And that makes fellowship with Him possible. Now, of course, not everybody believes that. A lot of people believe that we are no more than the highest form of animal. That we are essentially like the animals. And there is no essential, nothing in, in our essence, in, in our basic constitution, that makes us different from the animals. We might be more advanced in some ways. We might be more sophisticated in some ways. We, our intellect might be higher. We might understand the world around us a little bit better. But essentially there's no difference. Because what we, we're simply a more highly developed animal. Through the process of evolution we've reached a higher stage of development. But really in essence there's no, no difference between us and, and the animals. That's not a biblical point of view, is it? That, we're, we're trying to think scripturally. We're trying to think biblically. That's not a biblical point of view. The scriptural point of view is that you are made in God's image, that God has created you and has created you to be like Him so that He might have fellowship with you. We looked at some of the implications of this. All human beings deserve respect and dignity because they bear the image of God. They're worthy of respect. They're worthy to be treated with dignity. Each of us has inherent value. As long as we are human, we have value. And that goes from before we were born to the day we die. As long as we are human beings, you know, we, we have value because human beings are made in God's image. And I would suggest that some of us struggle with that. Some of us struggle with our confidence. Some of us struggle with, you know, am I, am I worth anything to anybody? Do I matter? You know what? Well, you do matter. You do have dignity. You do have worth. You do have value. Other people might not appreciate that, but, but God sees you as someone He's created to be in fellowship with Him. And so don't let anybody ever convince you that you're, you're worthless. Don't let anybody ever convince you of that, that you have no value, that you're not important. Because it's just not true. You are important. You do have value. You do matter to God and to God's people. All right, so who am I and where did I come, come from? Well, God is my Creator. And He created me in His image. That's, that's who I am and that's where I've come from. And He's created me to be in fellowship with Him. Well, let's answer another question. Ask and answer another question. 
book of Ecclesiastes might help us with this. Where, where are we going? <laughs> are, are we going anywhere? We're born and we die. Are we headed anywhere other than the grave? You know, the book of Ecclesiastes makes that point. The, the wise and the foolish, they end up in the grave. The rich and the poor, they end up in the grave. And so, but are we going anywhere else? Are we headed in any other direction? Human race came into existence a long time ago, and we, we've been here for a long time, and we've passed through various historical stages and eras and epochs. We've developed in many ways. You know, just think about where the human race was way, way back long ago. And, and, and we've developed in our understanding, in our sophistication, in our, our technology. Just think of how far we've come in the development of technology. Uh, you know, we've gone from rubbing two sticks together to try to make fire to turning on an electric light in your house. You know, it's just incredible. Think how far we've come in their communication. You know, we don't want to send smoke signals anymore. We get on our phone and talk to somebody who's in another part of the world somewhere. So technology and communication. Just think of the developments that we've made in understanding the human body and how it works and what's good for it, what's bad for it, how we might heal its illnesses and, and diseases. Just incredible advances in all of those areas. Transportation is another area. Just made incredible advances. We could walk everywhere we go, but we've developed other modes of transportation, some of which that take us in, out even beyond the Earth, Earth's gravitational pull. And so we, we've made advances. We, we've started here and, and we, we've gone through this era and, and now we're here, but are we really going anywhere? We think sometimes uh, about progress, you know, that we've progressed in lots of areas. Re really? Yeah. We might be more advanced technologically speaking, but have we really made any progress when it comes to our character and those kinds of things? Are we really going anywhere? Is there an end to all of this? Is there a purpose to all of this? Or again, are we just flying through space on, uh, on the globe headed nowhere? Kind of a, a discouraging thought. Well, we want to provide a biblical answer. And I would, I would suggest two parts to the answer. Part one, God has worked in history to bring our Savior in, into the world. Now, that, that's part of the answer. You can go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. After the first sin, you remember God tells the serpent that the seed of woman is coming and he's going to bruise your head but you shall bruise him on the heel, Genesis 3.15. And so from that point on, God has been working in history throughout historical events to bring about the seed of woman, the Christ, into the world who can reverse the effects of Adam's sin in, in the world. And so it began in Genesis 3, verse 15, but it continued through Abraham and your seed. All the families of the earth would be blessed. Continued then through the tribe of Judah, the, the ruling tribe, Genesis 49 and verse 10, David was a part of God's work in the course of human events to bring about the Savior or the Christ. Came through Hezekiah and Josiah and Zerubbabel. God is raising up nations to positions of power until the time is right for the coming of Christ. And so Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 says that 
Christ at the right time, or in the fullness of time, came born of woman, born under the law. And so, are we going anywhere? Well, there was a time when God was working through the course of human events to bring His Savior into the world, to bring the Christ into the world. Now, that's the first part of the answer. The second part of the answer is very much like it. You see, God is going to bring His Christ into the world again, and we're headed in that direction. Remember in Acts chapter 1 and verse 11, there as Jesus is, is, has ascended and the apostles are watching on, uh, the angel speaks and says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who's been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. And so he's, he's gone away, he's gone into heaven, but he's coming again. And so the Lord is coming again. Christ is coming into the world again. Look at another passage, 1 Thessalonians, and there are several passages we could look at that talk about the return of Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15, This we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now, Ephesians chapter 1 speaks of God's plan to sum up all things in Christ. And His coming again is one stage in that development, that all things are to be summed up in Christ, and Christ is going to come again, and eventually all things will be summed up in Him. What follows Christ's coming, of course, is the judgment. Christ is going to come, all will be raised, and all will stand before Him in judgment. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes speaks to that. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 14, God will bring every act into judgment, everything which is hidden, whether good or evil. And so the book of Ecclesiastes speaks of the judgment of God. God is going to bring everything into judgment. That's consistent with the other teaching of the Bible. Jesus speaks to the judgment. He talks about the coming judgment. In Matthew chapter 11, for example, in verses 20 through 24, Matthew 11, verses 20 through 24, He began to denounce the cities in which most of His miracles were done because they did not repent. He says in verse 21, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! If the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. There's coming a day of judgment. And the rest of the New Testament teaches us that when that day of judgment comes, we will all stand before God, the small and the great, the living and the dead, the strong and the weak, the good and the bad, male and female, rich and poor, all will stand before the judgment seat of God, or all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That God knows all about us. He knows our secrets. He knows our words. He knows our thoughts. He knows our deeds. He's the lawgiver, and so He has the authority to judge us and to impose a sentence upon us. And so God is the lawgiver. He knows our deeds, our words, our thoughts. He knows if we've transgressed the law. And as lawgiver, he has the authority to impose a sentence against those who have transgressed. He will render his judgment through Christ. 
The gospel will be the standard by which we are judged. Now, a lot of people don't understand that. They think, well, there may be a judgment, but, but you know, I, I've, I've lived a pretty good life according to the standard which is commonly accepted by men. And so they think that's going to be the standard in the judgment. That the, sort of the standard of good and bad and right and wrong that, that we, we commonly accept among us. And I, I've done pretty well. Now that's not going to be the standard. The standard is the gospel. You see that in Romans chapter 2, for example, when God will judge us through Christ according, he says, Romans chapter 2, according to my gospel, that's verse 16. After the judgment... Those who are right in the sight of God through the gospel will go to heaven and be with God. They will enter into the joy of the Lord or enter into the kingdom that has been prepared for them. You can see that Matthew 25 verses 31 through 46. And those who have not been justified by the gospel will go to hell. A place of eternal fire, a place of agony, a place of torment, a place of outer darkness. And both of those destinies are eternal. Eternal life or eternal destruction away from the glory of the Lord, away from the presence of the Lord. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 9. And so are we going anywhere? What, is there a direction? Are we headed to any place? Well, we're headed for the return of Christ. We're headed for the great day of judgment. When we will stand before God, we'll give an account of ourselves, we'll be rewarded according to our deeds, whether good or bad, and then we'll be other, either ushered into heaven or to hell. The Bible tells us, then the Son will turn over the kingdom to the Father, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and God will be all in all. Okay? Where are we going? In what direction are we headed? We're headed to the point in which God is all in all. <laughs> you know, that that's where we're going. And so we need to think about that. But we, if we're thinking about what, what's my life? What's my life all about? Where did I come from? What am I? Where am I going? Well, I'm going to a point where God, not, not me, not all about me. And so maybe I shouldn't be living for myself. Maybe I shouldn't be thinking, well, what do I want to do? You know? I'm headed to a point where throughout eternity, God is all in all. Oh, well, that might change some of the decisions I make in this life. And so, yes, we are headed, we're headed somewhere. We're going somewhere. And we need to think accordingly and live our lives accordingly. The third and last question is this. What should I be doing with my life today? Pretty good question, isn't it? Now, when we think about that, when we get to be maybe seniors in high school, maybe some think about it before, and uh, maybe the years after that, you know, what, what am I going to do with my life? And so we think maybe in, in terms of, of a career, well, we, which is an important question. Don't, don't want to minimize that question. But we want to think about it in a little bit deeper way. What, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? You know, what, what, what good do I want to do? What, what value... Do I want to produce with, with my life? And the book of Ecclesiastes is a great place to go to answer that question because the writer of the book asked that very question and searched out a lot of different answers to the question. 
especially in these, these first uh, few chapters, he talks about life under the sun, which I just take to mean life without regard for God and God's will. I'm just trying to figure out what life under the sun is all about. And really his conclusion was it's all empty, it's all vanity, it's really very little significance, very little meaning. If, if that's what we confine ourselves to. For example, in the, first, in the second chapter, he says, I, you know, I, I decided to pursue pleasure. Verse 1, come now, I will test you with pleasure. So, so enjoy yourself. And I tried all kinds of things. You can read the following verses. I, I, try, I tried everything, and, and whatever my eyes desired, verse 10 says, I did not refuse them. If I, I was in a position, I was king, I had resources, I had opportunity, and if I wanted something, I got it. And so I tried to pursue pleasure. I tried to make this life as enjoyable as I possibly could, and uh, at the end of the day, it, it's all vanity. Verse 9, I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I, I didn't withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for my labor. I considered all my activities which my hands had done, and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, it was all vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. I, you know, I got to the end of the day, and I just thought, well, I've done all that, now what? And, and it was just an empty feeling. It just didn't really produce any sort of lasting, you know, substantive satisfaction. Well, then he thought, well, I'll, I'll pursue wisdom. That is, human earthly wisdom, the under-the-sun kind of wisdom. Verse 12, I turn to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what will the man do uh, who will come after the king except what has already been done? And I, I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness, and so... Yeah, there's some advantages to being wise as far as this world's wisdom is concerned. But again, at the end of your life, what, what is all that wisdom and knowledge? What, what does it mean? What is it, where does it get you? I mean, you, you, you can read all the wise, you know, the, the books of the wise men through the years. You can get multiple PhDs. You can do all of that. And at the end of your life, what have you achieved? What, what have you, you know, what lasting thing have you produced in your life? Well, not much. You know. Can't pass that PhD on to your son or, or daughter. It's going to die with you. you know. and, and so again, that, that, that's, that's empty. And then human achievement. Verse 4, I enlarged my work. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. You know, I just... I just got caught up in the pursuit of human achievement. Just doing things, building things, acquiring things, accomplishing things. And verse 18 says, I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I labored under the sun. I got to leave it to the man who comes after me. And who knows, he might be the biggest fool that ever walked the face of the earth. And so if it's not pleasure, if it's not wisdom, if it's not achievement, what, what does give? What does give our lives meaning? Well, at the end of the book, he says this in verse 13 of chapter 12. This is the conclusion when all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Or this, this is the all of man. 
we'd say, this is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. Fear God and keep His commandments. You know, that's an interesting, uh, you know, an, an interesting statement. You know, that, that's going to give your life meaning and significance. You know, a lot, a lot of people think very opposite. You see, if you fear God and keep His commandments, that's going to deprive you of a fulfilled life. Well, the experience of the preacher here, the book of Ecclesiastes, is just the opposite. If you fear God and keep His commandments, that's going to give your life meaning and substance. And you're going to be satisfied and happy in, in that. What's our purpose in life? Fear God and keep His commandments. To fear God is to hold Him in reverence in the highest way possible. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a story about a judge who did not fear God. Maybe under, to understand what it means to fear God, it would help us to think about what it means not to fear God. Here's a man who doesn't fear God. What would, what would his attitude be like if he doesn't fear God? Well, he wouldn't care what God's will is. <laughs> he wouldn't care what God's, uh, what God's commands are. He wouldn't care what God wanted him. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't have any respect for God. He has no concern for God. Now, to fear God would be the opposite of that, wouldn't it? It would hold God in the highest degree of respect possible. It would be very much interested in God's will. It would be very much interested in God's opinion. It would be very much interested in what God would have us to do. Well, that's what it means to fear God. A good life, a wise life, a life well lived begins with the fear of God. We've been talking about that. In fact, I think Roger will talk about it some more tonight. This year, living in the fear of the Lord. Psalm 1 verse 7 tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's where true insight into the way to live your life, that's where it begins with the fear of God. And then keep His commandments. Again, people often think that keeping God's commandments will deprive us of living a full life. It's just not true. Does not our Creator know the best way for us to live? He created us. Doesn't He know the best way for us to live? The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. You want to live a hard life. You want to live a frustrating life. You disregard God's will for you. And and you'll get there. You'll live that difficult life. God's commands are not arbitrary do's and don'ts. The Bible tells us that they are for our good. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 24 and Deuteronomy 10 verses 12 and 13. You see, Scripture forbids certain things because they're not for our good. If you live in a world or a community where divorce for any cause is rampant and you have divorce and remarriage and all the... That's not good. That's not good for a culture. You see, it's not arbitrary that God limits divorce severely. It's for our good. And all of God's commands are that way. He requires certain things of us before because they're for our good. Remember what Jesus says about the Sabbath? That uh, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. The, the Sabbath is for our good. The Sabbath was established for our benefit. A day of worship and reflection 
and uh, spiritual nourishment. That, that's what we need. That's for our good. Now, we don't keep the Sabbath the way the Jews kept the Sabbath, but still we have a day of worship and devotion and reflection and encouragement. See, that's for our good. And so, keeping God's commands doesn't deprive us. We're benefited by it. In fact, one way to honor God and show our fear of Him is by keeping His commandments. And what are His commandments? Love God with all your heart and soul and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love your neighbor. What am I supposed to be doing with my life? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? Fear God, keep His commandments. What are His commandments? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's what we're supposed to be doing with our lives. And so this idea of you just live for yourself, is pursue your own interests. Whatever it is that makes you happy, well, you, you need to achieve that. But that's, that's not biblical thinking, is it? And what we're trying to do is think biblically about things. And if we do that, then we see that our lives really are bound up with God. In fact, we're headed to the point where all is for the glory of God. We need to live our lives in a way now that does that so we'll be prepared for that through eternity. All right, going to talk about these kind of things some more in the next couple of weeks, kind of try to apply to some issues, uh, some of the principles that we've been talking about over the last several weeks and hope that uh, it'll, be, it'll be profitable. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this opportunity to, to come together and to worship you. Uh, we pray, Father, that you've been pleased with our efforts today, that we have genuinely worshiped you, that we've worshiped you in spirit and in truth. That's, that's our objective, Father. That's our aim, is to please you as we worship together. In fact, to please you in all things. Father, help us to think seriously about our lives and where, where we came from and, and what we are, that we are human beings created in your image for, for fellowship with you. Help us to understand, Father, that we are headed toward a great day of judgment and beyond that, a time when you will be all in all. And so, Father, we pray that we will live in light of that judgment and that we'll be prepared for it when that day comes. Father, we pray that we will use the life that you have given us for your glory, to, to advance your cause, to bring honor to you. Help us, Father, to love you with all of our heart and all of our, our soul, but also, Father, to love others as well who are made in your image to do them good, to benefit them, to, to help them along the way, both physically and spiritually. So help us, Father, to help them to prepare for that day of judgment and for eternity. Our Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to think about these things, to think about them seriously. And may your word have an impact on our lives as we go through our life day by day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're subject to the invitation this morning,